first reading comes from 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 to 9. Uh, the words we speak to those who have grown in the faith are wise. Our words are different from the words of the wise people or rulers of this world. People like that aren't going anywhere. No, we speak about God's secret wisdom. His wisdom has been hidden. But before time began, God planned that his wisdom would bring us heavenly glory. None of the rulers of this world understood God's wisdom. If they had, they would not have nailed the Lord of glory to the cross. It is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has known what God has prepared for those who love him. The second reading comes from Psalm chapter 91, ah, verses 1 to 4 and 9 to 10. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the peril perilous... Thank you. Um, he shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, that your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Hello. Oh, okay. Um, third reading comes from Psalm 27, verses 4 to 5. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me, he shall set me high upon a rock. The last reading comes from Psalm chapter 31 verses 20. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. I love that we're doing this series on freedom because everything to do with our Christian walk, our Christian faith, is to do with what Jesus has done. He has opened a door for us to not be estranged from God, but to walk boldly in his presence. And that for me is what I believe is a definition of a Christian. Now, most people see the gospel as the entry point into a life with God. But I believe it goes beyond that. I believe that the gospel is a doorway for us to walk through. And that door is for us to walk in the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't think we need to establish that the Lord is with us. I think many of us will have verses that come to mind, especially when we talk about Jesus and God being with us, standing one with us. For example, I will ne never leave you or forsake you. Or I am with you to the end of this age, Matthew 28, 20, when, God, when Jesus talks and he commissions people to go out into the world. I will never leave you and forsake you. I'm with you to the end of age. But to walk is an action. To walk is a choice that we make in our day-to-day -day lives. And today, this is what I want to emphasize, 
because the freedom in which we have Jesus requires a choice. If we want the abundance in which God has planned for our lives, it is a choice. And it is a doorway that we choose to continuously walk through. Despite circumstances, despite the season that we're in, whether we're going through the high times where we're experiencing God's intimacy and closeness, or we're in the times of the valleys where we feel distant and heavy. We are to walk in the presence of the Lord. And we'll be looking at that today. And first of all, we're going to be looking at what it was like for the Israelites, God's holy chosen people before Jesus. Because I believe it's so important to set the stage for what we now have in and through him, in his presence. Because there is power there. And there is something incredibly special for each and every one of us. Perhaps I can illustrate it this way. When, I'm in, when, when I was living in Hong Kong, every Monday I'd go to this Hong Kong cafe that would overlook the markets. And if you've been in Eastwood, you would see that during the weekends, it's buzzing with life with all these aunties and uncles trying to get the best fruit. And it's like a war. I know Peter's really good at maneuvering and getting like the, the best piece of meat. Well, you weren't good at the beginning, but you're, you're better now, I think. <laughs> but here I am, I'm, I'm sitting in a cafe in Hong Kong and it's like Eastwood times 10. And each week when I'm there, there is a couple, there is a couple that are there at the same time without fail. And this Asian auntie and this uncle, they're with their trolleys. And this Asian auntie, she knows the lay of the land. She goes and she's pulling her trolley. She's slightly violent, pushing through people. And she's there. She's chatting to a friend to her right. And then she's over to the next corner, looking at a juicy piece of fruit. She's commanding the atmosphere. But then you see the husband. He's dutifully standing next to her, reasonably silent, he might look at the people that, he's, that, that the wife is talking to. He might even say hello. But the wife, her behavior, she was acting like the husband wasn't even there. If the husband's presence wasn't next to her, it wouldn't change a thing. She would go about her everyday life. She would buy the fruits and the vegetables. She would talk to all these different people, socialize as if the husband wasn't there. I believe sometimes that's what it's like with our relationship with God. God's presence is with us. The, the husband's presence was with the wife, but she wasn't walking in his presence. As Christians, we are called to not only acknowledge the fact that God is with us, but we are to walk continuously in that with him daily. First of all, I want us to just have a look at the Garden of Eden. What happened at the Garden of Eden? I know I always like to redirect us to those passages because I believe that there was a tremendous undoing of what God had created. 
what God had designed for humanity. Now, in Genesis 3, 8, Adam and Eve have just committed their first ever sin and they are hiding. And they hear, the verse says that they hear God walking through the garden. They heard God walking through the garden and they hid from God. And God cries out, where are you? And they were hiding from him. And I believe that from that moment, there was a separation, of course, between us and God. Adam and Eve, from that moment, no longer walked with God in the garden. And God's desire, of course, was to be among the people of Israel, his chosen people. And we see that especially with Moses. He gives Moses specific instructions in terms of how to build the tabernacle of God. And what is the tabernacle? The tabernacle was a man-made tent that had three components. Many of you would know this already. There's the outer courts in which people would offer sacrifices to God. There were the inner courts, and then there was the secret place in the back of the tabernacle. And this secret place was the holiest of all. And the high priest was the only one who could enter into this secret place. And within that secret place represented God's presence with his people. The Ark of the Covenant represents, which was inside the Holy of All, it represented God's throne on earth, God's presence with his people, and God's glory revealed. And this was separated by a thick, thick curtain. Within the story of the Bible, there are three main tabernacles. One, the tabernacle of Moses, the first one. Then there's the tabernacle of David. And then the third one is not exactly a tabernacle, but a temple, which was elected, elected, erected by Solomon. But what I find incredibly interesting, and if you have your Bibles with me, please turn. Actually, I don't have the verse here, don't worry. <laughs> it's within Amos. It says, and it's incredibly fascinating, what Amos, Amos God speaks to Amos and Amos prophesies. He says that one day I will restore the tabernacle of David. One day I will restore the tabernacle of David that is now in ruins. Why not the tabernacle of Moses? You know, that was the first ever tabernacle that the Lord instructed. What about the temple of Solomon? They you know, that, that was, of course, to come. Why the tabernacle of David? The tabernacle of David holds an incredibly powerful, significant message for us. When the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the enemy, David's foremost desire was to bring the presence of God back to the people. So unlike Moses... 
And unlike Solomon's temple, the tabernacle of David only had one compartment, and that was the holy of all. And both men and women would come into this tabernacle freely worshipping and praising the Lord. And the tabernacle of David represented that open access to the presence of God and continuous praise and worship in the Lord. That continuous praise and worship, that open access. One day I will restore the tabernacle of David. And in Acts 15.13, James says, I will take from the Gentiles a people for your name, for his name. And afterwards, I will restore and rebuild David's fallen tent. Now we'll restore it. Next slide, please. So now, what do we have now through Jesus? See, Jesus made the presence of God available to all. There's the famous Hebrews 20, 19 to 22, Hebrews 10, 19 to 22 verse, where it talks about Jesus through his blood and through his body. He became the veal that separated us from the holy of holies. And when he died, that veal tore into two and the presence of God was released to all people. And there are certain things that you can only find when you walk in the presence of the Lord that you can't find anywhere else. And I want us to take a look at some of the poetry that's written by David. And there are a few verses that we will go through together. Because I think it is so important that we understand David's connection to God's presence. Majority, a lot of the Psalms were actually written within the tabernacle. So first one that I want us to have a look at is Psalm 27, 4 to 5. So if you have it there, please bring it up. Psalm 27, 4 to 5. And, Dave, and um, Damien prayed through this very beautifully earlier on. I'm not sure whether that's a coincidence. God's obviously wanting to say something. So Psalm 27, 4 to 5, I'm reading from the New King's James Version. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to seek him and inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. You see, I believe that there is a hiding place that we as Christians can find in the presence of the Lord. A secret place only between you and God. And it doesn't matter what is going on on the outside and what season you're in. 
when you're walking, in, walking with the Lord, there is a secret place that you can retreat to in the safety of his presence. Turn with me to Psalm 31, 20. You shall hide them. Once again, it's David that, is, that wrote this. You shall hide them in the secret of your presence from the plots of man. In another translation, it says that in the shelter of your presence, you shall hide them. So there is safety in the presence of God. And we're going to look at three things, three things that we can find in that secret place. So number one, in the presence of the Lord, there is rest. And boy, do some people here need rest. We go about our lives, we're plowing along, but we're internally exhausted. In the presence of the Lord, you will find rest. Psalm 91, verse 1 to 4, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall rest under the shadow of his wings of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will take refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by day. Verse 9 to 10, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, you will not before evil. In that secret place, you will find rest for your soul. He will hide you, this picture of hiding you under his feathers is so incredibly beautiful that you are protected in this place, that God is looking out for you just like a mother. In the secret place, number two, there is peace. When I was young and very immature, I lived in Thailand and unfortunately I didn't know danger when I saw it. And I would take these risks that were often not very smart. <laughs> so in, in Thailand, uh, we were in rural Chiang Rai, um, an area that was known for quite a lot of bad things. Um, so there was a lot of drunkard behavior, there was a lot of drugs, a lot of gangs around. And I was, we were doing Christmas carols there because um, it was around Christmas time. And I was asked, um, somebody gave me a call, asked me to meet them along the main road and a truck would come by and pick us up and bring us caroling. Um, as I walked out the door, you know, my phone died, which was my first mistake. And so I was waiting there with one of my friends who was visiting from Australia, we were waiting there on the side of the road, two girls looking like tourists because we didn't quite dress like the locals. At the side of the road where it was dark, and from the corner of my eye, I saw a bunch of people walking towards us and I thought, oh no, like this is, this is not good. And it turned out that one of them was a cop. 
And unlike Australia, where law enforcement is good for you, often there is a bit of corruption within the authorities in Thailand. And they were, the group of guys, they were drunk. Um, they were trying to get me and my friend to go with them. And we knew that if we did, it was bad news. And that was a situation where I really needed to think on my feet. So I told my friend, you know, go to the internet cafe and call this number because my phone was dead. But surprisingly, that in, in the midst of this experience that was really stupidity on my part, who stands on the side of the road in a place where there's drugs and gangs, I don't know. Um, but I felt peace. I knew that God had my back. I knew that he was in control. And it says nothing about me, but it says everything to do with where I was with God. I was walking in his presence and I knew that in that secret place with him, within that intimate place, I was protected and I felt supernatural peace. Last verse we're going to look at. Wait, I'll read, wait, I'll, I'll read Psalm 4 verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 16, 11. In thy presence there is fullness of joy. You will make me you will make known the path of life, and you'll fill me with joy in your presence, with internal pleasures at your right hand. Last week Larry spoke so well about joy and how we need to abide in the vine. And that is so true. As we abide in the vine, as we abide in his presence, as we connect with Jesus, there is joy to be found. I believe there's many, there's many of us here that haven't felt joy in a long time. There might have been a time in which we felt that overflow of joy in God. So in his presence, there is rest, peace, and there is joy. And in that secret place of the presence of God, we now live through Jesus. And as we walk in the presence of the God, we are walking a journey of discovery. And this is where he reveals things to us about him and his character. Secret things that you can only find in that place. So 1 Corinthians, and this was in the reading earlier, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 6 to 11. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. I think it's on the screen, actually. Okay, you guys can just look at the screen. So, the words I speak to those who have grown in faith are wise. Our words are different from the world's words of the wise peoples and all the rulers of this world. People like that aren't going anywhere. No, we speak about God's secret wisdom. This wisdom has been hidden, but before time began, God planned that his wisdom would bring us heavenly glory. None of the rulers of this world understood God's wisdom, for if they had, they would not have nailed Jesus to the cross. So the first thing that we find in 
God's secret place, when we're connected to the Father, is his secret wisdom. There is wisdom of God to be found in this place. Verse 9, it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who loves him, who loved him. Isaiah, and that quotes Isaiah 64.4. So no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. So within the secret place, we discover the purpose of God. God has prepared for us a purpose. I believe one that is corporate and also one that's individualistic. Let's have a look at verse 10. But God has shown us through his spirit, the spirit that understands all things. He understands even the deep things of God. So through the spirit, the spirit who understands all things of God reveals to us his heart. God reveals to us his wisdom, his purpose, and his heart through the spirit of God when we walk with him. Walking in the presence of God is understanding what God's heart is like, his mind and his purpose. We're, so, we're really blessed that in the morning service, we've got men and women who have walked with the Lord for all their days, all their days. And I tell you something, I believe that they are a better theologian than somebody who has a doctorate in theology. Why is that? Because to be a theologian simply means to know God. To know God. And the beauty of this freedom in which we have is that we are able to now walk and understand and grow in who Jesus is, in who God is. So finally, in 2 Samuel 6, 1 to 23, David takes the Ark of the Covenant back from the enemy and there is great rejoicing because the Ark of the Covenant was captured. And there is dancing and there is joy on the street and David takes off his kingly robes and he is dancing with all his might down the street. People think he's crazy. But he was just enjoying what this meant for him and his people. He was bringing back the ark back to the tabernacle. And this ark, this tabernacle that David elected, that he built up, he put it on Mount Zion. And I believe that Mount Zion is symbolic of many things, but it also speaks of the church. This is the last verse I'm going to get us to look at. Hebrews 12.22. Hebrews 12.22. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in the heaven. David's tabernacle was significant because it 
foreshadowed something that was wonderful to come. Open access to the presence of God where we can continuously worship him and walk with him. But two, it also represents the church. Individually, we walk in the presence of God, but corporately, as a church, we house the presence of the Lord among us. That is so powerful. When we meet together, there is power in that because we, the church, symbolize David's tabernacle, open access, open presence. We have been given the freedom to access the presence of God and we have to walk and to have him walk with us and us with him. Are you walking in his presence? I don't doubt that many of us believe that God is with us, but to walk is an action, something that we choose to do. It can't be forced, it can't be accidental. It can't be something that we just remember to do maybe once a week when we go to church, but it's a continuous action. But within that, there is so much to learn about the heart and nature of God. Things that you can't simply listen to through somebody preaching, but something that you only get when you are in direct contact with him. And that, I believe, is God's design and purpose and heart for his people. People that are continuously seeking after him, walking with him. And as that happens, we transform into the likeness of Christ. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I'm going to get everybody here to close their eyes. Let's do some business with God. What will this look like for you tomorrow to walk in the presence of God when you start your week afresh and you go to work, meet your friends, go about your daily tasks, get frustrated with your manager? What does it look like to walk with the Lord? When we plan our weeks and we visit our family and we get burdened by the thoughts perhaps that plague our mind where is the Lord in that situation are we walking in his presence thank you Lord God that the gospel is the beginning of freedom and that it's opened up a door that's miraculous, full of awe and wonder. And that being a Christian isn't simply just the sinner's prayer. It isn't just the entry point into faith in which sometimes we're led to believe. No, it's about continuously walking with you. It's about not sidelining you like Asian auntie in the, in the markets. It's about being one. Not one dominating the other, but one 
in heart and in spirit. Often you use our relationship with you, the church, a picture of marriage, that oneness and unity of what it means to be joined. I pray, Father God, that today that we will grasp what that means for our lives because it changes everything and it opens a door to a new kind of freedom that can be found nowhere else. I thank you, Lord, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Jess, for bringing that word. And um, would you please stand with me as we uh, close our service in the